2: Just want to give a quick shout out to the wonderful sponsors who make this program possible on a daily basis. They include the Heather Turner team at Patriot Home Mortgage, also HSLAMMO.com, Pure-Light.com, Life Saving Food, Dot com and MonticelloCollege.org. And I actually have thoughtfully included links in the show notes page to where you can uh, connect with each one of these sponsors on your own. If you need what they offer, whether it be their product or service, or you just want to tell them, hey, thanks for making this possible, please feel free to drop them a line. Again, you'll find them in the show notes at the Brian Hyde show.com Last week, I had the opportunity to interview uh, Dr. Joel Hirshhorn. And uh, this was because I was sitting in on a friend's radio show and he had set up the interview and it was one of the most fascinating discussions. And so it was so good. I invited Dr. Hirshhorn to join me on my show. Um, Dr. Hirshhorn, thank you for making the time to join me today here on, on The Brian Hyde Show.
1: Thank you for having me. Thank you.
2: So um we're going to talk about your book. And he has written a book called Pandemic Blunder, Fauci and Public Health Blocked Early Home COVID Treatment. But before we talk about the book, let's talk a little bit about you, just so we can establish um, you know, where you're coming from and what your background consists of.
1: Well, uh, early on, I was a, a full professor at the University of Wisconsin-Madison, and I directed a, a research program between the medical school and the College of Engineering. I worked uh, for many years with orthopedic surgeons and did some good work, and from there, I uh, I want to do something different. So I became a senior official at the Congressional Office of Technology Assessment, which was a, uh, a nonpartisan arm of Congress at the time, it no longer exists. But I directed lots of major studies, almost all related to health uh, issues. And I testified as an expert, as a trusted expert, over 50 times at Senate and House hearings. And uh, so that was a a great experience. And uh, I ended up my career uh, being a senior official at the National Governors Association, sort of the trade association of all the state and territory governors. And again, I directed a program involving a lot of big studies also related uh, to health issues, actually wrote a book based on some of that work called sprawl kills. Uh, And, uh, Eventually, I retired, and uh, I've been active since my retirement. Uh, I'm I'm an executive volunteer at a major hospital and uh, involved with several national and international uh, health organizations promoting uh, patient-centered care. And then I got, of course, when the pandemic hit, since I read the medical literature, I got totally enthralled with uh, what I was seeing in March of 2020. So I'm going back March of 2020 And all of this data started to come out uh, first from France, Dr. Didier, and then from uh, a wonderful Dr. Zelenko in New York. And these early pioneering doctors were curing their patients who had really major COVID disease, and they were curing them uh, with using cheap generics at initially, it was hydroxychloroquine, And then they sort of became more interested in using ivermectin. But March of 2020, we already had all of this real-world data that the COVID disease, you know, that was getting all of the attention, uh, could in fact be successfully addressed with what we now call early home or outpatient treatment. Uh, And not only, we learned eventually a little later on, not only could these treatments cure COVID, but they could prevent COVID. So now we talk about prophylactics. We talk about particularly ivermectin in wide use now in many countries around the world to prevent getting COVID. Well, when I say prevent getting COVID, that, what does that immediately suggest? And that is we have an alternative to COVID vaccines. Of course, big media, the government, Fauci, Oh, FDA, CDC, you know, they don't want to talk about. Not only don't they want to talk about treatment, they actually set up blocks and obstacles to the wide use of these treatments in the United States. And and that is a and that's what the book is all about, really pandemic blunder. I wrote the book because after studying everything for several months, I said, "I got it. We've got to get better information out to the public." And the fact that these treatments work, and by the way, new research papers are coming in every week, basically. I just was reading a new one uh, yesterday and today on ivermectin. Again, lots of data showing that it works to prevent getting COVID. And so why would sensible people want to take COVID vaccines when all we're hearing about, at least I'm hearing about, the public is being kept a little bit in the dark and ignorant, but there's so many ill effects and deaths associated with the COVID vaccines. The newest CDC number, just uh, as a, a day or so ago, it went up. To, they say to nine thousand deaths. Wow! Now we have re- we have research, though. I want to emphasize, we have research from Harvard University work done a few several years ago, and they found that the system, the VAERS system, that is the CDC's system for collecting. Uh, ill effects of, of, of vaccines, that system may only report 1% of the actual data. And that, that Harvard University worked, by the way, Harvard developed <laughs> with federal money, they developed a new and better system of collecting data, all right, on adverse effects. And what did the CDC do? It didn't choose to adopt the Harvard system. <laughs> so it it the system is just totally corrupt in every way you look at it.
2: I have to ask why have they why did the system and i 'm talking you know both governmental officials as well as public health officials why did they take the one size fits all approach? Um, it would seem that we'd want to have as many tools as possible to fight you know a, a virus that uh, that was responsible for this pandemic. But it seems like nobody was allowed to stray beyond a certain orthodoxy, and I, I mean, right. I, re- I remember President Trump getting, you know, roundly criticized. I mean, there's still articles popping up about he was wrong about hydroxychloroquine, <laughs> and yet it turns out, you know, for those who were willing to wait and to check the facts, uh, right. no, actually, he, he was wasn't right. wrong.
1: No, and and you know, one of the things I point out about, and I say this in my book, if we would have used treatment, I just want to be clear, officially, the CDC, the government says over 600,000 Americans have died from COVID, over 600,000. I can tell you that, and it's in my book, we have all of this data to show that over 500,000 deaths could have been prevented with the use of those treatment protocols, okay? So now you ask me, why Why would the government do something this insane? Why cause all of half a million deaths, that's in the United States alone? Well... The old uh, wisdom is follow the money. And uh, and if you go into the history, particularly of Fauci, who I have no regard for, uh, Fauci has a long history over many decades of being very close to big drug companies. So that that's his whole background. And, and they developed a strategy in the spring of 2020, wh- which is – what I call the wait for the vaccine strategy. They were going to block the use of treatments and they were going to force the country to wait for the vaccines to be created and produced. But now we're seeing all of these very trusted physicians, the people that I trust, the medical researchers, Harvey Reich at Yale, Peter McCullough in, in Texas, and, and everyone who I respect is saying, wait a second, they went through, they rushed the development of the vaccines, and the consequence is they let the drug companies get this emergency use authorization, and they didn't do adequate safety studies, okay? Now, every time we say people are taking, you know, vaccine, we should always preface that word with experimental, because that's what this is all about. It's all about treating the population basically as guinea pigs uh, in a vast experiment. And all of this data uh, that I see and, and, and is a mountain of data. I have one paper already published you know, about the battle. Should we should FDA be allowed to give full approval to these vaccines? And the answer I say is no. And hundreds of respected uh, physicians and medical researchers say no. Uh, They have filed petitions to FDA about not rushing to grant full approval because once they give full approval, then we're really down the tubes.
2: Again, we are talking with Dr. Joel S. Hirshhorn. He is the author of the book, Pandemic Blunder, Fauci and Public Health Blocked Early Home COVID Treatment. We've got to take a very quick break. We're going to come back and continue this discussion. I promise you will hear information here that is being actively suppressed by most of the mainstream media organs. Probably be worth your while to click on the show notes and, uh, and uh, follow the link to uh, Dr. Hirshhorn's book. We'll be back in just a few
0: moments. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. Again, I am
2: visiting with Dr. Joel S. Hirshhorn, who is the author of Pandemic Blunder, Fauci and Public Health Blocked Early Home COVID Treatment. Now if that sounds like well that's not such a big deal to you can I just invite you please consider that this means that public health officials and and Dr Fauci who sits at the top of that uh, that health food chain in terms of governmental involvement were actively keeping effective treatments from the public and the media piled on and said oh yeah there's nothing to this and and there was uh, Dr Dr Hershorn there was a lot of disinformation and misinformation which was used to keep people from accessing things that that could have been helpful. And that means there were a lot of deaths that uh, likely would have been prevented had people had access to those treatments.
1: Absolutely. And that's my point. 500,000 deaths, American deaths, could have been prevented. Half a million people died unnecessarily. Okay, And yes, um, there was suppression, absolute suppression, of all the positive information on the use of cheap generics, cheap, I want to emphasize these were generics that were used for decades, decades, safely. Hydroxychloroquine, ivermectin, okay, fully approved by the FDA, fully approved, not like the vaccines that are not fully approved. And yes, all of the positive information, nearly all of it, Were suppressed by big media, mainstream media, corporate social media. It's amazing. Some people were surprised that I got my book published, but (laughs) I never was on social media. If I had been, I would have been knocked off of it long ago. Uh, Yes, so we've had a continuous flow of positive, as I say, almost on a weekly basis. More studies come out that ivermectin works and hydroxychloroquine works. By the way, I want to emphasize, again, follow the money. Most of the great medical researchers around the world doing this good work on treatments can't get their work published in major medical journals. Why not? Because major medical journals get their revenue from advertising from big drug companies. So everywhere you look. And the other thing I always like to point out, how does Fauci control the medical establishment? Fauci at NIH gives out every year over $3 billion in grants. So you have thousands and thousands of academic physicians, medical researchers, and institutes and universities, all depending for their livelihood on grants from Fauci's NIH division. So this is, again, money controlling the system. That's what you see, I see everywhere, a totally corrupt system. And I want to emphasize, and I check on this all the time, we still have some great physicians in the United States going against the grain. There are doctors like George Farid in California, uh, Dr. Zelenko in New York, and and others who are giving their patients early treatment protocols, either hydroxychloroquine and or ivermectin. They're still doing it, even though – now, an interesting point that I learned recently – At least 80 or 90% of American physicians work for hospital systems, hospital corporations. They can't act independently. It's only the independent clinicians, frontline doctors, who can still give out the the cheap generic treatment protocols, okay? But the ones who work for big corporations, they're stuck because those hospital corporations are following the federal guidance, Fauci's guidance, and that's blocking them. I asked my primary care physician who works for a major hospital system, I said, listen, I research all this stuff. I know my data and everything. Will you give me a prescription of hydroxychloroquine? He laughed. He said, I can't do that. And that's the problem. But what I want to emphasize, and all of this is in my book, individuals can get hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin to use. They have to go to uh, there's several websites that they can go to, and they can get doctors who will get them prescriptions and get the drugs sent to them so it's still possible for people to follow the treatment protocols and then there's one that i advocate in my book it does not require any prescription medicine it's just a sensible use of vitamin c vitamin d uh, uh, and and zinc and an old supplement called quesitin those four together represent again a treatment cocktail that improves your natural immunity. And I and again I want to emphasize something half of the US population got infected at some point with COVID. They all half the population without most of them without any serious health effects, they didn't die, they didn't go to the hospital. But They have natural immunity, and I can't emphasize this enough. If you have natural immunity, every doctor that I respect and researcher that I respect all come to the same conclusion. Don't get the vaccine if you have natural immunity. In fact, the reason why we're seeing in Europe, particularly in the U.S., a lot of people dying from the vaccines and serious blood clotting issues and brains, heart problems, The odds are that they are people who who had natural immunity and then got the vaccine. And it turns out, and this is being researched a lot right now, that the combination of artificial immunity from a vaccine on top of natural immunity wrecks your body. It wrecks your immune system. And that's why we're seeing all of these terrible health effects from the COVID vaccines.
2: Wow. And with the push right now. For vaccines, I know Doctor Fauci just recently uh, yes. came out and was was hey these these need to be mandatory. The vaccines need to be mandated, and I just think, oh my word, uh, the the CDC and the FDA and, and you know along that that hierarchy, they, it's like they don't even recognize the limits to their power, and, and maybe they've assumed powers they were never intended to have in the first place.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. I agree. It's nothing but coercion now. And and the problem with the big media suppression of information, most people don't know about these petitions that were sent into FDA, you know, won by a group of outstanding physicians, including Peter McCullough and and. All the stuff going on, I, I I keep accumulating all of this evidence. If there was a, if we could get FDA into the courtroom right now, they would be convicted of malpractice. They would be absolutely convicted because the evidence is absolutely overwhelming that these vaccines pose a lot of risk. And what what we have doctors, the good doctors saying, is that the benefit to risk ratio doesn't make any sense for most of the population. In other words, there's too little benefit and too much risk. And the only group where that, where you have a good benefit-to-risk ratio is for people over 70. But for them, okay, there's a lot of benefit not to get COVID. But for everyone else, literally everyone else, especially young children, adolescents, Young people never, statistically, based on the government's own data, young people never faced any significant health risk from COVID to begin with. And that's true for most of the population. If you're in your 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, you don't have a lot to fear from getting COVID, except you'll get natural immunity, which is
2: good. We're down to our last minute or so here, Dr. Hershorn. Let's talk about where people can find your book, Pandemic Blunder.
1: Well, it's easily uh, obtained on Amazon. It's now in, in a print edition, a, uh, a Kindle edition, and an Audible edition also. But it's sold wherever books are sold, but very low prices on, on Amazon. And uh, but some people don't like to use Amazon. That's fine. It's it's available everywhere. I saw I checked. It's being sold on eBay. I mean, everywhere it's being sold. And i tell you, it's like a, a it's like a, a, a cost one on one on the pandemic. You know, I wrote it a, several months ago, but everything in the book still holds up. It tells the whole true story. If you're if you're a truth seeker. This book educates anyone about what this pandemic is all about, how it has been mismanaged by Fauci
2: in particular. Okay. I have a link in the show notes at the Again, show notes for July 13th. Dr. Hirshhorn, thank you so much for spending some time with us. It was great to visit
0: with you.
1: Thanks for the opportunity, Brian. Thank you.
0: This is the Brian Hyde Show. This is the Brian Hyde Show. Hey, once again, thank you so much for being part of my
2: growing audience of wrong thinkers. I just want to give a quick shout out here to Patriot Home Mortgage, specifically the Heather Turner team at Patriot Home Mortgage in St. George, NMLS ID 715386, an equal housing opportunity lender. If you are one of the very fortunate few, who are a part of this exodus to the Intermountain West. And particularly if you're, uh, you know, your journey is taking you to the great state of Utah, you should really talk to the Heather Turner team at Patriot Home Mortgage when it comes to getting the financing for the home of your dreams. Because it's a very competitive market, to put it mildly. And Heather has decades of experience in the lending industry. She clearly knows the ins and outs of what the lender needs, what the borrower needs. And if you need things to happen quickly, because time is of the essence, whether it's VA loans, traditional loans, reverse mortgages, or just refinancing your existing mortgage. Patriot Home Mortgage and the Heather Turner team at Patriot Home Mortgage, they're the ones you want to talk to. Call 435-703-4522 or follow the link on my show notes page at the show.com. Man, I don't know where to begin with all the crazy stuff that is going on right now. Uh, there's, there's a couple of things that... Uh, the bare mentioning, I don't know if you're following this, the state of Texas, Democratic lawmakers literally boarded charter flights to flee the state so they wouldn't have to vote and presumably lose in the legislative uh, arena on uh, voter reform laws. And I know we're not supposed to question this, right? Isn't that, isn't that the mark of, uh, well, you must be some kind of extremist if you believe that there's any need for voter reform but isn't it curious that uh, as various states have stepped forward and said, you know what, because of concerns over last year's election, what we would like to do is make it harder for people to cheat if they were inclined to do so. And this is, of course, being hailed as, well, what you're trying to do then is suppress the vote of this minority group or that minority group. And it's, you know, it, to me, it's it's a lot of screaming about, well, nothing. In fact, uh, it's frankly, I would think that it would they would want to make sure that the voting process was as above board and trustworthy as possible. But for some reason, if you question it, if you suggest, well, maybe it needs to be fixed, uh, nope, they don't want to do that. Now, at the at the federal level, they'd like to have the federal government take over the administration of elections. Presumably, to make it a little easier for you know those who don't have an ID or those who are likely to vote for you know the the people in power to be able to cast their vote. You know, don't don't think me a quitter, but this is just one of the reasons why I have uh, stopped putting a lot of faith in voting changing much of anything. It's not that there aren't things that need to be addressed and need to be changed. I'm just suggesting that I think the efforts to do that have to fall somewhere outside of voting. In other words, what you do before and after you vote probably has deeper impact on the overall scheme of how things play out than uh, how you vote on Election Day. But it's crazy here. These lawmakers fled Texas. I think there's 50 of them who, who fled the state. And now the governor of Texas, Governor Abbott, is saying we're going to arrest you. The moment you set foot in Texas, you will be arrested for, I don't know what it is, dereliction of duty? But, uh, ah, the political games. It's, you know, I'm not trying to take sides here, although I probably have. (laughs) It's just, I'm so, I'm so over what politicians will do for the sake of grandstanding and demonstrating how important we are and how much you need us. I'm not so sure. I think, frankly, I can I can handle a lot of this stuff on my own. In fact, uh, you know, my life can become a lot less complicated if I can just turn my back on you and you go your way and let me go mine. But they don't want to let me go my way. I wonder why that is. It's very important to them that I, you know, be brought to heal and, you know, that I, I make sure I, I know who's really in charge. But that's the problem. See, I know who is really in charge. It's the God of this universe And it's not you, Mr. or Ms. Politician. You guys are just placeholders for a seat of power. And, you know, for the most part, you're not even using your your influence there wisely. So, no. You know, for you to govern me requires my consent. And I know just enough to know that I can withhold that consent if you're not holding up your end of the deal. So, thanks anyways, but... I'm not buying what you're selling. Now, I did have a pretty good laugh when, uh, when I saw that, uh, um, who was, oh, the Babylon Bee, of course. You know, there's been a lot of coverage of the uh, Cuban protests that have been taking place the last few days. Interestingly, too, the spin, well, the reason they're protesting is because they're not getting enough vaccinations, enough COVID treatment. That's why they're, that's why they're rising up. No, it's not. I mean, do you wave the American flag, you know, because uh, you don't feel like you're getting a timely access to to a covid vaccination? No. They're standing up because their government has been violating their rights. And I mean, seriously violating their rights for a long, long time. And the Cuban people are getting sick of it. So I have to give props to the Babylon Bee for at least interjecting some humor into the situation. Democrat governors afraid Cuban desire for freedom could spread to the U.S., The article says, as Cubans cry for freedom, a common refrain of right-wing radicals, Democrats are starting to worry that this dangerous movement could gain momentum in the U.S. These Cubans, or Cubans as I call them, have obviously been influenced by some radical Trump-type figure, said California Governor Gavin Newsom. I've worked hard in my state to clamp down on freedom in order to fight COVID and climate change, and the last thing we need is people now thinking liberty is a good idea. Democrats have made dictating to American citizens what they can do a big part of all their plans. And this strategy has been especially prominent during the pandemic. Now, many governors and other Democratic politicians are afraid outside influences could turn people against their careful plans, such as randomly telling people when to wear masks. My beautiful, beautiful socialism, Bernie Sanders cried as he fell to the floor before President Biden in the Oval Office. Cuba was supposed to be a beacon to the rest of the world. We have to stop this spread of freedom. Cut off the Internet if you have to. You can't cut off the Internet, exclaimed Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. That's how I order pizza. I like mojitos, said President Biden as he licked some ice cream. The White House is still formulating a response to the situation in Cuba. for now, they're advising that if you see anyone espousing extremist notions like freedom, you report them to the nearest government authority. And if you can't find a government authority... Report them to Facebook. <laughs> oh, man. There's a part of me that wants to cry, though, because <laughs> there's a lot of truth in that satire. Uh, it, it is interesting, too, though, that, that there were mainstream press outlets that were reporting, you know, that uh, they, they were chanting anti-government slogans. You know what the anti-government slogan was that they were chanting? It was the word liberty. So here here's the thing. I'm assuming that you would not have stuck with me this far into this show or this far into, into the program if there wasn't an appreciation or perhaps even an abiding love for liberty in your heart. I think that's what probably brings most of us together. We may look around and think our numbers are pretty small, but, you know, these are people who are believers, people who are committed to the idea of liberty, even if it's uncomfortable. They're willing to do what it takes to claim, use and defend their liberty. The writing on the wall, at least from where I'm sitting, is that uh, you better have pretty thick skin. If we're to the point now where simply a desire for liberty, invoking the the word liberty, is equated with anti-government slogans. That should tell you a little something about the opposition that is arrayed against you. And this isn't new. It's been going on for quite some time. I think about Ammon Bundy every time, you know, that uh, that a mass media, a corporate media outlet reports on him. Inevitably, within the first sentence or two come the words anti-government activist. Because they couldn't portray him as pro-freedom activist, pro-liberty supporter. Oh, no, no, he's anti-government As if everything that government wishes to bless you with is is the most marvelous thing in the world. You wonder why people don't trust the media? Now, let me rephrase it. You wonder why I don't trust the media? It's because they have become enablers. Disseminators of disinformation, misinformation, misdirection. They don't exist to inform us about what's going on, particularly as it relates to uh, those who are exercising political power in our lives. Their job is to keep us from seeing the truth clearly enough that we recognize how thoroughly we are being subjugated and we don't uh, withdraw our consent. So I'm I'm thinking that uh, it's not going to get easier from this point on to stand up for freedom. Now that doesn't mean therefore we should all quietly fade into the shadows and you know never never draw attention to yourself. I think the reality is you're going to pay a price. You're going to suffer for your beliefs. We've had a pretty good free ride for a long time. Multiple generations have not had to do that kind of heavy lifting. But it looks like our turn has arrived. I just want to assure you, not only are you up to the job, but I believe you were likely born for this purpose. So let's rise up to that purpose, shall we? We'll be back in just a moment.
0: This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. All right, welcome back to the show.
2: Hey, if you haven't done it yet... I'd like you to find some time, when it's convenient, to visit my webpage, com, and subscribe. That way, if you're not near where the live broadcast is taking place, you can at least know whenever a new podcast episode drops and listen to it at your leisure. Will you find fulfillment? Will you find enlightenment and a clear path through life? I don't know. I mean, I'd be happy if you did, but I'm not making any such claim that that's what I'm going to deliver. I'm just going to share with you what I... Consider the best information I can find about a number of different issues going on around us and to try to cut through some of the misinformation and the spin and the deception that unfortunately accounts for the vast majority of information that's blasting at us 24-7. I don't have all the answers, but I am determined to ask the kind of questions that will get us a better perspective of what's going on than than what is being spoon-fed to us by you know, a number of different uh, media outlets. I'm a fan of uh, Caitlin Johnstone. She, uh, I, I, I subscribe to her email. I get it uh, several times a week. And, you know, again, she's one of these individuals who on paper, there's a lot of ways where I don't align with her in her thinking. But the thing that I absolutely respect about her. And I mean, this is this is not uh, she demands my respect. She commands my respect because she is a respectable person in that she speaks the truth as she understands it, understands it rather. And that to me is uh, it's okay. I would love to hear from someone, even if I know, well, we're probably not going to agree on very many things. But if I believe that they are speaking the truth, even when it's inconvenient, even when it's painful, I'm much more likely to consider their point of view, and I'm almost always glad that I did. She has a really great article about how violent extremists took over the U.S. Capitol long before January 6th. And I bring this up because there is a narrative that is being developed right now that is being aimed or used to weaponize and aim the the weaponry of government directly at people like you and me, who were nowhere near the Capitol. We weren't participating in any of the hijinks. And yet it's still being portrayed as, you know, but you guys would support the overthrow of the legitimate government. Pretty scary stuff. Because you're talking about roughly half the country that is being targeted with the idea that uh, they're not getting along or they're not going along. Therefore, they are. What are they? Domestic terrorists? White supremacists? The greatest threat to this nation ever. And I know this seems like a totally far-fetched thing. But if you look at what our government has been willing to do to people overseas who would not get on board with whatever, you know, policy or whatever, you know, dictate they were trying to enforce. You just have to understand that uh, drone strikes are not out of the question. Now, I have a hard time imagining something like that happening on American soil until I realize that the same language that is being used or was being used against ISIS and against Al-Qaeda and other bad mashes on the other side of the world is being prepared to be used against people like you and me who simply believe in freedom. I mean, it's it's not enough to make me shut up, but it's definitely enough to make me go, can we at least see what's happening? Here's Caitlin Johnstone's take. She says no longer content with absurd claims that the January 6th Capitol riot was as bad as the 9-11 attacks. Democratic Party aligned pundits are now insisting that it was, in fact, worse. On a recent appearance with uh, MSNBC's readout with Joy Reid, former Bush strategist Matthew Dowd said he he says he felt the Capitol riot was much worse than 9-11. And this is the most perilous point in time since the beginning of the American Civil War. He said, to me, though there was less loss of life on January 6th, January 6th was worse than 9-11 because it's continued to rip our country apart and get permission for people to pursue autocratic means. And so I think we're in a much worse place than we've been. He said, I think we're in the most perilous point in time since 1861 in the advent of the Civil War. And Reed said, I do, too. Now, not to be outdone, Lincoln Project co-founder Steve Smith cited Dowd's hysterical claim but added that not only was January 6th worse than 9-11, but it was actually going to kill more Americans somehow, even counting all those killed in the U.S. wars which ensued from the 9-11 attacks. Schmidt at a town hall for the Lincoln Project said he couldn't be more right. The 1-6 attack for the future of the country was a profoundly more dangerous event than the 9-11 attacks. And in the end, the 1-6 attacks are likely to kill a lot more Americans than were killed in the 9-11 attacks, which will include the casualties of the wars that lasted 20 years following. Now, just so we can keep some numbers in mind here, a total of 2,996 Americans were killed in the 9-11 attacks, and a further 7,000 U.S. troops have been killed in Iraq and Afghanistan. Exactly one person was killed in the January 6th riot, and that was a rioter shot by police Inside the Capitol building. Early reports that rioters had beaten a police officer to death with a fire extinguisher turned out to have been false. So Caitlin Johnstone says these bizarre alternate reality takes are awful for a whole host of reasons, including the fact that this so-called insurrection everyone is still shrieking about never at any point in its planning or enactment had a higher than 0% chance of overthrowing the most powerful government in the world. And the fact that they are manufacturing consent for new authoritarian measures just like 9-11 did. She says, but perhaps the most annoying thing about all the melodramatic garment rending over how close the U.S. Capitol came to being taken over by violent extremists is that the U.S. Capitol has been under the control of violent extremists for a very long time already. For all the fretting everyone's been doing about fascists and white supremacist groups, Those are not the violent extremists posing the greatest threat and amassing the highest body count today. Neither are the communists, neither are the anarchists, neither are the radicalized Muslims or the fundamentalist Christians or the environmentalists nor the incels. No, the most dangerous and deadly group of violent extremists in our day are adherents of the mainstream status quo politics of the U.S. centralized power alliance. And it's not even close. Certainly many of the groups listed above are dangerous and undesirable but they're not the ones raining explosives upon families around the world for power and profit. They're not the ones brandishing nuclear weapons with steadily increasing recklessness as they ramp up a new Cold War against Russia and China. They're not the ones poisoning the air and water and rapidly destroying the environment we all depend on for survival. They're not the ones enslaving humanity to a brutal, oppressive, and exploitative global capitalist system which leaves far too many toiling for far too little when there's plenty for everyone. She says that would be the so-called moderates of the Western Empire, who in reality are anything but. Now, again, you can probably pick out. I I don't agree with her, you know, characterization of, of capitalism. I'm willing to set that aside, though, for the point that she's making here. It is violent to wage nonstop campaigns of military mass murder and impose civilian killing economic sanctions on nations which disobey your dictates its extremists to brutalize, brainwash, and enslave humanity while continuously shoving the world in the direction of extinction and Armageddon in the name of profit and unipolar hegemony. Because U.S. officials sit almost entirely on the right side of the global political spectrum, we can accurately say that everyone is fretting, everyone fretting about these violent right-wing extremists storming a Capitol building are forgetting that it already has long been occupied by violent right-wing extremists. And yet when Facebook started sending Americans warnings that they may have viewed extremist content scrolling through their feeds, posts supporting this most dangerous group of extremists were not the content they were being warned about, but instead any kind of content which opposes the status quo that these extremists have created. She says they're killing the ecosystem, murdering people every single day while imperiling us all with the risk of nuclear war. And Caitlin Johnstone says, my social media feeds are full of Americans literally trying to crowdfund their own survival, while the world's worst add trillions to their wealth. But it's the people who want to change this abusive system that are the dangerous extremists. Now, she says some analysts focus primarily on criticizing the really obvious monsters who spout racist and bigoted rhetoric to advance their toxic agendas. Others focus more on criticizing the monsters that are harder to see through the fog of feigned politeness and propaganda distortion. The ones you see in government buildings and on Fortune magazine covers and on TV news shows telling you what to think about the world. Those who spend their time criticizing the latter more than the former are often attacked and ridiculed as fascist sympathizers and Kremlin assets but only by those who don't actually see the monsters they're pointing to. She says, Hollywood trained us to, view, to fear psychopathic killers prowling around in the dark so we won't notice the psychopathic killers who rule our world in broad daylight. We've been trained to fear the serial killer covered in blood and wielding a chainsaw so we don't notice the serial killer wearing a suit and wielding a pen. She says our collective maturity cannot begin until we learn to see the violent extremist monsters where they actually exist and not just where we've been trained to look for them. Okay, those are some strong words. But she's not wrong. The biggest monsters you are likely to meet in your lifetime will shake your hand and ask you to vote for them. And they'll do it with a clear conscience. That's what makes them so monstrous.